Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hello, Latricia, and hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we have three fantastic poets coming from different parts of America. We have Ashley in California. We have Nicholas, who is also from North Carolina, and or he's in North Carolina. I'm not sure where he's from. In Lavinia, they are about justice, activism, and of course, poetry because it's National Poor Hunt. Who wants to go first? I'll let you guys decide. Nick, you can go first. All right, cool, cool, cool. My name is uh, Nick Corman. Um, I I'm actually from North Carolina as well. I'm from uh, Greensboro. Um, I currently live in uh, Mebane, North Carolina, and I am a uh, graduate student at North Carolina Central University, um, getting my master's in African-American history. And, uh, you know, so shout out to our uh, HBCUs and shout out to, you know, anybody that has been to um, or, you know, anyone that is an alum of an HBCU, wherever it is. I've been doing poetry for you. A little while, for a little while. So I'm, 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 I'm glad to uh, be on the platform. I appreciate y'all for having me. All right. Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I live in California right now, but I'm actually originally from New York. Um, I am currently a travel nurse, and I am in the process of getting my master's in nursing. and. I just recently finished two books. One is a novel. Um, it's called Confident Sensuality. And another one is um, a book of poetry called um, Love Never Fails. Nice. If I could make the noise, I would make it right now. But you're going to have to pretend. Insert, insert on your own. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Lavinia? Uh, hey, everybody. I am Lavinia Jackson. I am a community engaged poet, I guess you could say. Um, I've been doing this poetry thing for 30 some years. <laughs> Had to stop and think about it, right? Had to stop and think about how long I've been doing this poetry thing. Um, I'm a disabled veteran and um, I'm not from Greensboro, but I call Greensboro home. And yes, yes, been here like 12 years. You might as well, you know, just call me somebody from Greensboro. I appreciate Ashley as a traveling nurse. Um, my do- my youngest daughter has OI, so I know that used to come, the traveling nurse used to come to my house and do home infusions. And so I really appreciate the work that um, you're doing. And I got, a, I got friends who are Eagles over at Central. So yeah, right, um, right, 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 right. So, I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. 
Well, we are happy to have you all. And I just love all of your energy. And I'm just really excited to dig into this whole thing about poetry. And I just want to start out asking, and anyone can answer, why do you write poetry? Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and and start with some of the answers. Um, Poetry has been, um, I hate to sound so cliche, but it has been a huge part of my life for a very, very long time. And I think that as I got older and as I learned how to completely understand and express my feelings, my poetry became more um, in-depth. It became more detailed and more focused. So I write because it. I feel like poetry has grown. My poetry has grown with me. So I think that there's there are large parts of me in poetry and in every piece of poetry that I read. So. Yeah, for me, um, you know, it's a it's definitely a pure art form, um, and I think that you know, as I've been exposed to to more opportunities, um, as I've been able to travel a little more. Um, and as I've also been able to, um, you know, grow, grow more, you know, personally and intellectually, um, it's just always been a constant reminder to, um, you know, not only speak before, you know, myself, but to, you know, use the, use the art to, uh, continue to push, uh, progressive equality driven, uh, causes, um, and to, you know, not just, uh, do it for, you know, um, applause or for, uh, book sales, uh, for, um, like social media or anything like that. I mean, all those things are, you know, good, you know, dope and all, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we can't take, um, any of those things, uh, you know, with us, you know, when we leave. So, um, I just want to, you know, make sure that as I continue to keep writing, you know, I'm, I'm leaving an impact on as many people, uh, as possible. And, you know, like just all the people that I haven't, you know, gotten a chance to, you know, meet and, and you know, interact with yet. You know, that's what, you know, keeps me writing poetry. You know? Wow, that's hard to follow. Um, I've been writing poetry since I was about seven or eight years old. So we won't go into how old I am now. Let's just say <laughs> long time. OK, you know, we're going to leave it at that. Um, poetry became the place where I found solace and safety. It became my space for absolute expression. It didn't matter whether I was happy, sad, whatever it was, that piece of paper could take that weight and it could take the levels of expression. Like however I want to play with words, whatever I wanted to make it do, that piece of paper and poetry could do for me that I couldn't necessarily articulate out into the world. So that's why... That's why I write poetry. And I tell everybody, especially when I do my workshops, that if you got a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper, you a poet. You just don't know it's it. Wonderful. I think just listening to the three of you and our podcast, Living the Principles, is about living the seven principles of Kwanzaa. And I hear all of you speaking of the principle, Nia, like purpose is all of you write your poetry for a purpose. So I, I love that. I love it. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Lavinia, when you were giving your introduction, you told us how 
you have been an advocate and that's how you and I, we met each other. Can you get into that a little bit? Can you tell us more about how you advocate with that and wow, some things um, you've done? <laughs> um, I've been an advocate for both veterans, um, a, you know, the abled and not um, and disabled veterans and um, children with uh, osteogenesis imperfecta or brittle bones because my youngest daughter has the disorder. So I've spent the, she's 18. She's going to be 18 this year. She's about to graduate from high school. So um, against some really grim odds. Um, so that's what sort of sparked the advocacy work is understanding that everybody doesn't have a voice and everybody isn't comfortable using their voice. I'm not afraid to be allowed. You know, my grandmother had me standing in front of the church doing them church recitations um, for many, many years with poetry. So I got, I, I cut my chops on poetry a long time ago and won the public speaking event. So I leveraged that experience um, into advocacy and just speaking up and putting out there and I'd ask people what they want and then I'd run over and say it for them, you know, and open the space or open a door for somebody else to be able to to say whatever they want to say. So that's how I got into advocacy. And I, you know, whoever it is, whatever it is, the right cause. Um, yeah, I'm a holler. I'm a holler for y'all. Nick, getting a master's in African-American studies going to HBCU. I'm pretty sure that you are also an advocate in some form or fashion. Um, can you talk to us about advocacy or why do you believe advocacy is important? Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot during my um, undergrad, I, I did my uh, undergraduate at UNC Pembroke um, in Pembroke, North Carolina, right outside of Fayetteville. And, um, you know, I was do I, I was the NAACP chapter president for a couple of years. Um, you know, we organized a lot of, um, a lot of boycotts, you know, some sit-ins. Uh, we did some protesting. There was a lot that we did over my couple of years in Pembroke. Um, and, you know, I just think that, you know, poetry was a great way for me to, you know, like add to my advocacy a little more. Um, you know, I had already been doing like a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of reading, you know, before I got to college. Um, and then, you know, just get into college. Um, and, and, and being able to, um, just like be out on my own and, uh, be exposed to, you know, different organizations and, you know, get involved in different things, um, just allowed me to really, uh, flourish as a, as a poet. Um, and, you know, when, when people hear poetry, uh, it's just, it's just something so like, just so like pure and like powerful about it that like, it just like makes people like sit up. And like, listen, and, you know, just adds, adds like more to, you know, like what you're, what you're talking about and like what you're advocating for. Um, and, you know, I just think that, you know, that advocacy work, you know, it goes, you know, like the artist activism, you know, like what we'll be talking about this evening, you know, it's just, like it goes hand in hand. And it's, it's always been that way, uh, you know, from the time that, you know, we were brought over here. So, so yeah, yeah. Ashley, the author, the traveling nurse getting her master's degree. 
I know you are an advocate in so many ways, and we definitely need it in a health field with so many disparities. And we've had a few episodes about the disparities, but can you tell us um, how you use poetry to advocate and how you advocate in general? You're muted. For a long time, I feel like the poetry that I write has been a large form of expressing not just how I feel, but I know I'm not the only one going through the same thing. I know I'm not the only one that's experiencing the same thing. And I feel like the way it's expressed, a lot of people, a lot of people of color need to see that. I know this isn't just me. I know this is not just this is, I'm not the only one experiencing some of these feelings, experiencing the, the moments where you question yourself, the moments where you question if just specifically being who you are is going to prevent you from going exactly where you want to go. A lot of that is expressed in my poetry. And then as far as healthcare, um, I'm sure this goes without saying, but um, being a nurse for as long as I've been a nurse and being a travel nurse at that and being exposed to the fact that um, African-Americans are seen as uh, a like a race that somehow doesn't feel pain the same as a number of other races. So advocacy there um, for me has been so, so important. Um, and I feel like in those areas in healthcare, being a nurse, being able to have the opportunity to push for, you know, being seen as human um, has definitely allowed me to, I guess, just sort of grow as a human and like fall in love with the craft and fall in love with the ability to express what we go through and how, as a result, we are incredibly strong. You guys have really said a lot. So I've heard the words human and activism and protest. How does poetry influence social and political justice or causes. I also heard the word causes. Poetry in general, maybe your poetry specifically, if your poetry, it sounds like, Ashley, it sounds like your poetry is about expressing these different feelings and perhaps there are some, it sounds social and perhaps political, so if you guys could speak on that, the influence. I'll go, um, since this uh, is interesting to me. Um, my poetry is not always political, but the political ones, quote unquote, the political ones, and I it ain't political, it's Black, it's AF. Um, those are the ones that gain the traction and um, people relate to the most. Because I write from a different space when I'm writing something that is quote unquote politically charged, or I call them my poetry reactions. I don't edit that. It's just coming from that space. I was, um, I was honored to have one of my pieces integrated into a, uh, a play here a few years ago called February. Once again, um, the poem is called you people and we were sold out. Um, and so, I, that was the only time I have memorized my own work. Usually I read. And so, and, and this was at the beginning of the uprisings. This was like five or six years ago. Yeah, like six years ago. So this was at the very beginning. Um, and poetry has always been the voice of the movement. Like I have not been 
or heard of any city where there are not poets always somewhere talking about what's going on. You don't need the news. Just go to an open mic. You're going to find out who did what to who, where, why. Go to an open mic. You're going to find all of that out. Okay, so that's where I, I am with that. So it's heavily influential. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we just look at, uh, you know, I I approach everything from, from you know, like history and, and, and such. But, I mean, like a lot of our, you know, great, you know, black intellectuals, um, you know, also like dabble, you know, as as poets, um, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, for example, you know, he, he's possibly one of the one of the smartest, you know, people, you know, not much less, you know, black, but one of the smartest people um, and, you know, one of our greatest champions. You know, he wrote a lot of poetry um, in his uh, Souls of Black Folks, uh, you know, which is like a seminal work um, and, and, you know, a lot of uh, and not only historical, but in sociological circles, you know, he's starting out each of those chapters with, you know, like poetry um, and like his words, um, you know, the way that he wrote the book, like the prose is just so like it's it's beautifully written, you know, it's, it's, it's poetry. Um, and then, you know, we fast forward to, you know, like the black arts movement, when we get our Nikki Giovanni's, we get our, uh, we get our um, Amiri Baracas, we get our Gil Scott Herons, uh, you know, the last poets, you know, we get like we get all all these people and, and, and all these groups and they're just so infused with what's going on. And, you know, when you listen um, to, you know, what they were spitting about, like at the time, you know, like they're not only just, you know, like talking about it, but, you know, like in a Mary Baraka's case, uh, you know, that straight off the top of my head, like they're integrating themselves into the politics like of their community. You know, they're not just you know, like talking about it, like they're they're going out of their way to, you know, like make sure that they're actively involved in, you know, this liberation work. So, you know, like poetry is, you know, just it's for the people and it's, you know, by the people. And, you know, it's it's I'm telling you, like it's just one of the purest forms of, you know, art that we have left that, you know, like we can still like salvage and like really cling on to. And your input, Ashley? I definitely second that. I felt that to the core. <laughs> um, that was definitely well said. I feel like poetry is definitely historical, especially for African-Americans. And I say that because you got to look back to the the times where, as a matter of fact, I was watching the movie Stand Up, which was obviously a, uh, a biography, an autobiography of um, Harriet Tubman. And I remember they, they, um, emphasize the parts where they used their songs, those hymnals, those those moments where they were singing to one another to communicate and let one another know what the next move was, where they're going to be going next. They Some of them wrote those songs. Some of them, there were so many things that they had to integrate, that they had to use to work together with, you know, to, to survive. And I just, I feel like there's absolutely no other way to say that poetry is the purest form of of emotional poetry is the the most the purest form of how we've been able to express ourselves how we've been able to get through a lot of these a lot of the times that we're still experiencing and i just i don't know it's it's amazing as you guys speak i think of the principle kuchi jagali self-determination it allows us to define ourselves and use our own voices 
is also what I'm hearing, uh, which is one of the Kwanzaa principles. And Lavinia, one of your poems became a play. That is that is super dope. That is super dope. <laughs> okay, so the irony behind that is that my first book, um, Poetry in Plain Sight, um, was in process to be published. It hadn't been published yet, and that poem was in the book. Oh. So, right. So it was on stage like two weeks before it got phys- was it was physically in my hands. So that was like a really cool like moment in my life, right? Like, so I'm like, wow, I feel all amazing. But yeah, yeah, that was, and I've had my poems, um, I've been commissioned to have my poems integrated into other productions as well. Um, and it's interesting to see what people, how people interpret your mm-hmm. work. Um, and I love what they do with it with dance. Um, and I love how it just shows up. And I love the impact because you never know, like, the impact of your words, especially if you don't read them. Like, if you happen to sneak in the audience and hear somebody else reading your words, um, you that is an amazing experience to watch, you know, as, as Nick said, the impact of the words. And when you are in intimate spaces and it's, us and you see our tears and you see that kind of release that those words give to folks you know why you write like you understand you know like like we talk about purpose you understand self-determination um but you also understand you know um collective and group economics because if it won't for us because we the ones buying from us you know and supporting us right Okay, that right. I right. I I'm gonna stop now because see, I could keep going. But that is so good because um, we were wondering what what has been your uh, most meaningful feedback. So for you, it's been hearing your own poems and the impact it has brought. So Nick, uh, what has been some of the impact or meaningful feedback that you've received? I think the most uh, the most affirming thing that has happened for me was last. Last year, around this time, um, you know, when things were starting to shut down a little bit, well, well, a lot more, like a lot more. Um, I was in Atlanta for a um, for a uh, Black Studies conference that I was uh, presenting research at, and um, like that Saturday, I was you know going around downtown, you know, I was uh, and just like all, all over, I was trying to go to some museums, um, but they were closing down all the museums, and you know I couldn't get in. Uh, I was trying to get into the Civil Rights Museum. You know, they locked the doors. They won't let nobody in. And, you know, I came across a uh, I, I, I came across a protest that was happening. And, you know, I didn't know they was protesting. So, you know, I just kind of slid into the back of the protest. Um, and uh, I ended up finding out it was a protest um, for uh, for a man named Nathaniel Woods, um, who was executed by the state of Alabama um, last March um, for a crime that he did not commit. Uh the guy who, who committed the murder is still on death row. He literally said Nathaniel Woods has nothing to, had nothing to do with what had happened because he had killed um, a couple of police officers and Nate Woods was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he literally wrote led like on his behalf saying, 
I didn't even know I was going to do it. So how did he know I was going to do it? Uh, so, you know, I met, um, I got to meet the family and I didn't even realize that the people protesting were his like direct family members. Uh, so, you know, uh, mother, father, you know, um, children, nieces, nephews, brothers and sisters. And um, I pulled his nephew um, aside and, you know, I was like, you know, if y'all have, you know, a chance, um, you know, would y'all be, you know, comfortable with, you know, me sharing this poem that I had written? And I literally just got done with the poem before I had left for Atlanta. And I mentioned Nate Woods in the poem. And, um, you know, he was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's fine. That's fine. So um, towards the end of the protest, they allowed me to uh, share the poem and, you know, like just, you know, the reception and the love that, you know, I got from the family. Um, you know, it was like in the video, uh, you know, like my voice is like trembling and, you know, a little bit because like the moment was so powerful because I think that a lot of times that, you know, when we write these poems or, you know, when people are, you know, putting these people's name, you know, like putting a name like a George Floyd or a Sandra Bland, you know, like in the poem, like we're forgetting that these are like actual people with, you know, actual families and like there's memories and there's emotions that are tied in. And, you know, like just like the energy from the family uh, and like that moment was, you know, like just real powerful. And, you know, for the family to, you know, like bring me in and, you know, like embrace me the way they did, it uh, it brought, you know, say it was it was, you know, bringing bringing some, you know, tears to my eyes a little bit. And it was very uh, it was very powerful. So, you know, I think that that moment, uh, you know, definitely stay. And, you know, I'm still in contact with um, a couple of the family members, you know, today. So, um, you know, like that, that one definitely, you know, sticks out as, um, you know, one of the most, um, you know, powerful and, and affirming uh, moments that I've had so far. Wow. I call what you and Lavinia had God wings. Like, what are the odds that that would happen that you were about to publish a book and they pick it as part of a play or you had Nate Woods in your poem? And you meet their family. I call those God winks. I'm clumsy, y'all. Don't mind that. <laughs> Ashley, you know, could you also tell us about um, one moment in your life where your poetry was very impactful? Absolutely. Um, so social media is obviously definitely one of the best ways to get your work out there and get it to be seen by a large audience. But also if you want a specific audience to see it, it's also a beautiful platform. So I had posted a poem that was tailored to our culture and our history and how essentially we we are the history. We've created this land that everybody else that America calls their own. Um, and I honed in on the fact that um, America is borrowed land. And um, I received a message from um, a mother, like a, an African-American mother. And she told me that she read it so many times and um, she reread it to her daughter who is incredibly young and is still trying to comprehend why we um, African-Americans have such a different experience, why it's so, why we are so set apart um, from several other cultures and races. And she said that upon reading my poem, she said that she felt like she could finally like just express to her child um, 
the best way that she knew how, you know, like to tell her how to get through what we're going through, how we are becoming who we are meant to become despite what we have to deal with. And, you know, she said that for the longest time, sometimes she couldn't comprehend it herself. You know, you can't always put words to your emotions. You can't always put words to exactly what it is you're feeling. So it's hard then to speak to your child who also can't put words to what they're feeling. They can't put words to the fact that they don't understand why certain things are happening to us. So it just, it brought tears to my eyes to know that I was able to impact a mother and her daughter and their relationship and how growing up, you know, this little girl is going to remember this time, this, you know, this defining moment for her where she was finally beginning to understand what it means to be an African-American woman, an African-American young girl in America. So that meant a lot to me. Wow. So you helped them with identity, a mom and a daughter with identity. That's beautiful. I'm going to pass it to Latricia. I know she's eager to ask another question. (laughs) I love everything that you all have said, but I especially love what Ashley said about being set apart. A lot of times we get pushed back when we label something as black and people are always asking, well, why does it have to be black? Why can't it just be whatever that thing is? And so I want to ask you guys a question. How is poetry by black poets different than other poetry? Um, that is such an exceptional question. <laughs> I, I feel like there's so many different directions that we can go in. Black poetry is, it's heavy. It's, it's, there are so many layers. There are so many things. There are so many social issues, political issues, whatever you'd like to call it. There are so many layers to the the circumstances that we have to deal with on a regular basis. It is a normal, natural part of our lives. And I think that it is so important to implement in poetry that we haven't allowed it to define us. We haven't allowed it to do to us what society has wanted it to do to us. I feel like in poetry, we are able to say so much more. It's not just a love poem. It's not us just saying, you know, we wanted to experience something and we were unable to. It's us saying, you didn't want us to experience this and we were able to do it and then some. We are, we're building our foundation. We're rebuilding what you guys tried to tear down. There's so much that we are able to say that no one else can say. So no matter what, we're always going to be set apart. Our poetry is always going to be set apart from multiple other forms of poetry and any other culture of poetry. I feel like that just like touched the surface to everything. Like I could just write a whole dissertation. (laughs) Um, I agree. I think that poetry in in its essence, like all things, is Black. Um, meaning it's human. Other forms of poetry, um, whether they be haiku, um, you name it and we can write it and we can excel in whatever form that is. But we have a cadence for a lot of our poems. We have a specific rhyme and meter. There are certain things that we do uh, as, as Black folks 
that shows up in our poetry. Some of it's conversational, some of it's colloquial, some of it's, you know, right. Like there's a plethora of ways that black poets distinguish themselves, even when you don't, you might have a question. You'd be like, wait a minute. I don't know. Hold up. Let me go back and read that again. Cause whoa. And that's, that's the beauty of black poetry. There is no one kind of black poet. We have those who do open mics. We have those who have who are on CDs. We have those who have never published a book. We have those who are New York Times bestsellers, you know, like, and those who are professors, like they run the gamut of just like us, like, Poetry is us. So you can't box us in. You know what I'm saying? You really, you really can't. So I'm going to be a black poet. I ain't a poet who happens to be black. I'm sorry. Hey, look, both of y'all are absolutely like correct. Like, oh my goodness. Like, like black poetry is like, it's like soul food. You know what I'm saying? Like it, you know what I'm saying? It sticks to your ribs. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like when you, when you get done like reading, reading like a Gwendolyn Brooks or, you know what I'm saying? Or, 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 or you know, somebody of that nature, you know, or, or listening to, um, to, to Asanya Sanchez. It's like you, you, it's like you're, you feel edified. I mean, and it's not to say that, you know, white poets don't have, you know, they're like their folks that, you know, like do their own thing, but it's just like with black poetry, it's like you, you can, it's like they're speaking, you know, for you as well. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's really attesting to, you know, what, what has been previously said by both Lavinia and Ashley. It's like black poets are, are, you know, they're, they're, they're putting these, these, these experiences and these emotions, you know, like into these spaces where it's like, oh man, like I'd be thinking the same thing or like, oh my good, like this is just like my grandma's house was just like that too. Or, you know, our Sunday dinners was just like that too. Um, and, and it's just like, you see yourself and like to be able to see yourself, you know, in, in, you know, artwork or in, in media or in whatever you're reading is, you know, like the beautiful thing about black poetry um, and like death poetry, uh, death poetry jam definitely had a huge, 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 you know, impact um, on, you know, the way, the way that I speak and, you know, like how I uh, interact uh, with, with poetry. So, you know, black poetry is a whole, Oh man, you're right. We could go on and on and on. So I love it. I think my favorite part is that black poetry is like soul food. It sticks to your ribs. (laughs) I love it. Like Lavinia said, no black poetry is alike. So we're going to have all of you read some of your poetry so that we can hear the different type of poetry from each of you. And we would like for you to tell us some of your poetic influences. I mean, we've heard a lot of, a lot of names dropped and I'm interested in hearing some more. Who influenced you? Who wants to go first reading their poetry? Well, let's have Ashley go first. We, we haven't heard from you in a minute. You go first. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, okay. So this one is called Founding Fathers. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it. 
I am the foundation of this country. The land beneath my feet was led by me, bred by me, fed by me. I am the ocean that lines the land that was borrowed, formed by the tears shed by my ancestors. I am the roots of the trees planted by my founding fathers, not yours, forever standing, forever growing. I am greater than the hands that stole this land, greater than the ships that held my ancestors, sailing over scorned tears, greater than the men who took my fathers. I am the foundation of this country. This land is mine. That ocean knows my voice, and these trees share my pain. That's my first one. Should, did you want me to like talk about my influence or? Okay, okay. Um, my influence actually doesn't come from a poet. It comes from a singer, Sam Cooke. Um, Sam Cooke's history is diverse. And when I say diverse, I don't mean that, I, I'm not talking about like it involving other country cultures. I mean that it's it's complex, it runs deep and it's technically it's controversial. Like, you know, everybody has had all of their um, input on how and why he died. Um, what it, all it really boils down to is that his death could have, it was because he was black and in looking into Sam's Cook's death and how he died and how he was such a huge part of um, so many other deeper, deeply rooted like groups of African-American people that are trying to lift African-Americans. It just, it has always touched a, a very special part of me. And I feel like I've become obsessed with his history. I've become obsessed with the I guess the things that he had to deal with. And as a result of that, it just, it made me a huge part of it has been implemented into my poetry and how I feel about things that America likes to pretend didn't belong to us. I guess that's the best way that I could say it for now. Awesome. awesome. What, what a great influence. I love Sam Cooke as well. Do you have another poem that you would like to read? The first one you read was, was kind of short. So if you want, you can read another one. If not, that's fine too. I do. I just have to scroll through my list of poems. So it might take a couple, like a minute or two. I mean, if we, if you guys don't mind someone else reading, like while I try to find it, I'm okay with that. Okay, that'll be fine. Who wants to go next? Lavinia, did you want to go next? Uh, sure. Why not? Um, my poetry influences are easily um, Jimmy, Maya, you know, I talk, I, I like, I know them. It would be Uncle Jimmy and Aunt <laughs> Maya. Um, all of our classics, including W.E.B., um, MLK, to a degree, if you've read his speeches, um, you know, there's a lot of folks that have influenced my writing, um, you know, all the way down to Sonny Patterson, Sister Sonny Patterson, um, that woman and Erica Badu. Um, right. Right. OK, because you give credit where credit is due and Jill Scott, Lauren Hill. I mean, you know, there are. A myriad of influences as far as 
who I listen to or what voices will, will help me through. Um, since I talked about you people, I'm going to read that one. I had another one. We'll see. We'll see how we feel. Um, but that's hit a book. It's called Poetry in Plain Sight. That's just so y'all can see the pretty cover because I like cover. <laughs> um, but it's called You People. And no, I did not. After I memorized that that one time, that was it. One day, I won't choke back tears and ask, who the hell are you people supposed to be muffling my anger like a muzzle dog? No, I will muster for it too. Not like grabbing for straws, but like my life depended on it and spit in your face words that reduce me to the space under your curled lip at the end of your nose, anywhere you can't see anything more than the labels you created. I wish I could scream at you. Louder than the sirens and more often than the security reminders in Harris Teeter. That kind of disregard doesn't do shit for me. It's more constipating than cheese. See, you people ties my stomach in knots, makes me writhe on the floor and hope I can puke, but I can't. My fingers don't go that far down my throat and I consider myself a professional. Pray to the porcelain God so much that all you hear is a flush and my guts go turning down the toilet. You people sit in quiet cubicles, inhaling being ignored like the stale air we breathe and share just to get a piece of our humanity back. I am not your most convenient representative of all things black and negative. My birth certificate has the same type font with the letters that demand even your crass government call me by them. I am not you people. I am the singular collection of this human experience wrapped in my precious frame, staring at you, addressing you, and you smear me out of a continent's worth of history, dress me in slavery, and parade me around on bloody soil? <laughs> Tell me again, who the hell are you people supposed to be if a damn show ain't me? <laughs> so. Yeah, so that was that was um that was you people. Um and that as you can tell, that was a real experience. There's lots of real experiences integrated into that poem. And yes, somebody did call me you people, and yes, they did piss me off to just that point. So you wanna go to Nick or you want a second poem? It's up to y'all. Let's go to Nick and then we'll just rotate back around. Awesome sauce. Cool. So um as far as influences go. Um, you know, my first, uh, actual, uh, poet, poet's influence was, uh, Langston Hughes, um, very, very early on. Um, but then, but then the, uh, the person that really got me into poetry was, uh, Tupac Shakur, you know, the rose that grew from concrete. That was the first book. That was the first poetry book that I, that I read like fully, like cover to cover, um, read it multiple times. Um, I still go back and read it. And, you know, a lot of a lot of my writing, uh, it came from a uh, came from a classic hip hop, um, old school hip hop uh, background. And, uh, you know, then the more I started to get into poetry, um, I started to listen to a lot more uh, Gil Sky Heron, um, you know, the last poets, uh, some Amiri Baraka um, lately uh, with my latest um, influences. 
uh, definitely the legendary Black Ice from uh, Death Poetry, uh, Black Chakra, uh, Samui Francisco, um, man, uh, there's a sister named uh, Mechamorphosis and um, Ebony, uh, Ebony Stewart. Uh, there's so many, there's, there's so many. Um, I'm just going ahead and do this, uh, do this, do this poem for you. Um, this is the one that I actually, uh, performed for, uh, Nate Woods and his family. Um, and it's called, uh, Death Row. It's a hard pill to swallow when the promises made to your people were baseless and hollow. When you're guilty before you see trial, you can't commute these sentences because every day is death row. And this country's response to our blackness might not allow us to see tomorrow. They figured that since we've immortalized Tupac, we have an infatuation with death row records. But on the contrary, there's a lot of innocent brothers on death row that have no records, yet no one cares. And although we enjoy cookouts and electric slides, they enjoy watching our bodies fry and cook out while sitting in electric chairs to America. Killing us is a jan sport, so they send us backpacking before the Lord decides to call us home. And they play with us the way Coltrane played his saxophone and clarinet, which is why when they get their hands on our Rodney Reeves, they feel the need to lethally inject. So I attempt to vehemently protect and spit lines to frequently project truth and honesty, because honestly, I know America always has job openings for death row, and I know they want to hire me, which is where I spot the cool irony in the Declaration of Independence. Because instead of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, We've been guaranteed death, bondage, and a state of hopelessness. I find it crazy how states like Texas will take a pro-life position and stand in vehement opposition when it comes to abortion, but not a portion of that energy goes towards trying to eradicate the death penalty. My skin makes me the enemy, so that's why I know the death penalty was designed in mind to be the end of me. Most of us wanted to see college, but America gives us the penitentiary, and that's been the American way of life since the turn of the 20th century. South Carolina gave the electric chair to a 14-year-old George Stinney without a fair trial or appeal. And to be real, when Georgia executed an innocent Troy Davis, they didn't conceal how this country feels since they proved that he was just another nigger that America wanted to kill. Then Alabama traded in its statehood for a white point and make America greathood and determine a black man's fate in a way that only a racist state would when they executed an innocent brother that went by the name of Nate Woods because with so much drama in the USA, it's kind of hard when they oppress us each and every day because I feel like y'all should know between 1973 in 2021, there have been 185 people that were almost executed but ended up being released from death row. So I ask, who is America to decide who's worthy to live or die when they perpetrated so many atrocities that they could make Satan cry? Thank y'all. Thank y'all. That was death row. That was death row. <laughs> y'all are deep. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Lavinia, did you find your next one that you can go? Ashley. Ashley dropped off, I think. So if you Uh have. Yeah, I mean, I have another one. I mean, sure. And it's not in the same vein um, as the other ones. This, because as a poet, um, the poetry community in North Carolina is, well, up and down the kind of East Coast, but in North Carolina specifically, we all, we all know each other. And if we don't, we know somebody who knows somebody. Like, it's really like one degree of separation. It's not seven. It's really like one. So this poem is written, was written sort of in tribute 
to some of the guys that um, I find influential in in poetry in North Carolina. I think they're dope. Well, North and South Carolina. I think they're dope poets. Um, so it's called Crush. I'm smiling. Dashiki in draws, looking for my archetypal hero. Not exactly Dasan, but definitely, definitely that moody black type. Manly ray of sunshine, pledging poetry laced with nostalgia. I'm still looking for him. My more than average looks like laundry for three, mountains, moles, hills, and the valleys. The, the divinity hidden in motherhood screams after yet more homework. Exhales just like rain, tacitly trapped where I don't belong. I am a single poet, a mill, a coffee grinder, full of exotic beans, not to be ground by inexperience or envy. I make something new in this canister. If you twist and turn me more than twice, I will I will have that double Dutch rhythm when you jump in, laces tied, no tripping, meshing together like murder stanzas with an audience of one. Commute this lonely sentence and make me art. Push me beyond perfunctory. Let me be the concert and the soliloquy. Expiring intelligence into teardrops full of ecstasy, elapse my time, make me forget how moody I can be. Nice, nice. Thank you, thank you. North Carolina poets, oh my goodness. I just saw the sign like not too long ago, actually. <laughs> That's my buddy. Like there was like, I think I put four, there was like Ray Manley, design, Moody Black, um, and there's somebody else. I think there was, but there may have been somebody else, but I love, listening to them like i could sit there like this in front of this on like he know that i just be sitting there like oh my god how do you do that with words like how how like how do you do that with words and then you know there's there's lb the poet there's the other lb you know like when you're surrounded by folks that are just massively crafty with words like it keeps you on your game like iron sharpens iron you know what i'm saying so I love being in contact, you know, and, you know, being out with them and having these conversations because I get inspired by just listening to, you know, local poets, you know, that all need to be on somebody's national stage. But anyway, Amen to that. Amen. you know what I'm saying? Amen. I think um, we lost Ashley for the rest of the night, but you guys, woo, this was so insane insightful and enlightening and fun and a tearjerker it was just it was a roller coaster it was <laughs> it, um i really enjoyed you guys so we will definitely um do keep in touch oh yeah thank you so much definitely, definitely. thank y'all for having us thank you thank yes bye bye <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Latricia, what do you have for the principal challenge based on, we talked about so much. I don't know. Where do you have as our principal challenge? Principal challenge. Live them out. Just listening to everything they said, the principal challenge that I would like to offer today is to go to a poetry event. From 
everything they were saying, and I've been to a couple of poetry events, they are very enlightening. And so I would say go to a poetry event, gather some knowledge and some wisdom from the poets and bring it back and share. You know, we love sharing information. So that will be the principal challenge. Go to a poetry event, bring back information and knowledge and share it. All right. For our next section, open your heart, mind, and ears as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. Award-winning poet, editor, and recently named director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Kevin Young will be the featured speaker for the 151st annual meeting of the Harvard Alumni Association. He recently edited the acclaimed anthology, African American Poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song. The event will take place virtually on June 4th. Andrews McMill Publishing is pleased to announce the upcoming debut poetry release, Vulnerable AF from Grammy-nominated recording artist and slam poet Tariana Tank Ball. Vulnerable AF will be published in June 2021. Tank shared the announcement across her social media today in a photo shoot where she revealed the book cover. Excuse me, where she revealed the book cover. I thought I was French or something, y'all. Just ignore the little part. Chica is a poet and a rapper who speaks against political and societal issues. She announced an early retirement in rap to focus on her mental health. We hate to see her go, but love the message that she's sending to prioritize our mental health. We would love for you all to follow our guests who were on our shows today, Lavinia, Nick, and Ashley, who will be in our show notes. That's a bonus principal challenge. And Latricia, our soul snack. Our soul snack for today comes from an African proverb, and it says, A man who pays respect to the great paves his own way for greatness. That's our show for today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, like and comment, give us a review. Purchase a t-shirt from our website, livingtheprinciples365.com. You see Phyllis modeling her t-shirt of all of the great women who have achieved so much. And until next time, expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.